Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he came near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set to Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives. They whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voices for all the deeds and the power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Order your disciples to stop. And he answered them, I tell you, if, they, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I love Palm Sunday. I love when the uh, kids and in traditional, the choir process in. We're going to have the praise band process in, but we don't have those like portable uh, guitar hookups that they could just riff throughout the congregation. I love the palms hitting each other in the face the entire time. I love the, the celebration of it all. There's, uh, you know, getting closer to Easter. The crowds start getting a little larger. It's just a really exciting time for me. But I do not really think, as I was looking around while we were singing, I'm not sure everybody is in the Palm Sunday spirit right now. Because in Palm Sunday, when they marched in, Jesus marched in triumphantly, and, and the Jewish people who were following him down from the Mount of Olives, what did they do? They started shouting and singing, and they were expressive, and they waved palm branches out. And when I looked around here while we were singing— there were a few people just doing this. And look, if singing's not your thing, I'm not here to be completely judgmental, just only a little judgmental. But the reason we sing before everything, and the reason we actually flip the order of the service is because singing opens yourself up emotionally. It is a praise to God, but singing makes you vulnerable. No matter how good you sing, no matter how bad you sing, singing makes you vulnerable. And if you're not vulnerable, then I don't know if you are able to fully capture the experience of God and everything that you do. So we're entering into Palm Sunday here. I want you to picture Jesus riding down things. Some of y'all are going to hate this. Some of y'all are going to love this. Jesus is riding down to Jerusalem, which is our altar, riding down the center aisle here. And what would we yell? Palm Sunday, we would yell Hosanna. So ready? One, two, three. Hosanna! That was better than I expected. I really, really appreciate that. That was better than I expected. But 
if Jesus truly were riding down on a donkey, and if we truly expressed our admiration, Hosanna means, Lord, save us. And if we truly were expressing this exciting feeling of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, coming to the temple, going to finish the job, going to, to maybe kick the Romans out, or maybe free us from sin and death on the cross, any of those, if we were truly feeling that excitement, I don't think the people with palm branches in Jesus' time were sitting down. So ready? One, two, three. Hosanna! Okay, now some of you are ready to go. Some of you are ready to go because Palm Sunday, it enters into Holy Week. And there are, and we're still continuing in this sermon series on Teach Us to Pray. So we're going to be looking at how we can pray, which prayer is fully experiencing, fully putting ourselves into the presence of God so that we can be the presence of God. And, and often in Holy Week, we'll talk about prayer as these great moments of, of Jesus blessing the bread and the, and the wine at the Last Supper in Monday, Thursday, or this really powerful moment of tragedy and triumph in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or the, one of my just the most moving parts of Scripture for me is when Jesus is vulnerable on the cross and he's looking out at people who just put him there and he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And there's these incredible moments of prayer that happen during Holy Week, but we don't often look at Jesus' riding in on the donkey or the Hosanna shouts as active prayer, and I'd like for us to think about that. So we're going to come back to that. First, though, I want to show you, um, there's going to be four video clips back to back to back. And I find in our world, we are very good at finding differences between things. I want you to watch these, and I want you to tell me what is similar. So watch these. Again, they just bring three times a day. This is the Mincha, the second tray. Uh, you don't need a priest. And for that, there's no priest. Usually one of them a little. I'm not going to lose it this time. I'm not going to lose it this The difference is, right, Hillsong has much better cameras than everybody else. Um, what's, the same, what's similar in those? They're moving. All of these are incredibly different denominations, incredibly different forms of worship and prayer, but they're, they're all in motion. There's a rhythm to it all. And, and if you go to, um, if you go to a Pentecostal service, right, I would say, well, let me, let me back up and say that they're moving. The other thing I would say that they have in common is that every single person in those videos got what they expected to get out of prayer. 
As they sought to be in the full presence of God, to be in the presence of God, to express the presence of God, they got what they expected. And I'll go for the, the Black Pentecostal church that you wrote there. I had a friend named George who was an RA with me at TCU. And George was a Pentecostal, and um, we would get in religious discussions um, after our RA meeting sometimes because I was one of those people that, like, he was full-on speaking tongues, ecstatic experience. And I was like, yeah, I've never had that. I grew up in a good Methodist church where we did things right. We sat on our hands and we sang. And um, so he said, well, just come see what it is. Come, to, come try it out. You, you would be surprised. And the way he described it was this random expression of the Spirit, this ecstatic moment that just takes you over, and you never know what's going to happen. You never know when it's going to happen. So I went with George about four or five times to the Pentecostal group on campus, and we walked in, and sure enough, George, during the service, was waving around, and he was speaking in this language, and it was this really surreal experience. You think, that, that happened to me? No, not at all. And is it because the Spirit didn't move in me, or was it because George was ready for it? Now, here's the thing about the random nature of the Spirit in that service, is I went with George five times. Guess what happened to George all five times? He had an ecstatic experience and started waving his hands around and had it. So the random nature of it is the question of, well, did, did the Holy Spirit just come? Or was George entering in with a posture where he was ready to receive? And I go along with those of you who grew up Catholic and you had um, uh, experiences while you're watching the Catholic processional going down with the ribbon banners and everything. You may think that the whole kneeling stand aerobics, you know, touch your toes, kneel, and is, is this rote thing that you just do and you can do it by memory and you don't get anything out of it. But you still did something. And there are a lot of people who do that, even though it's something that they always done, they still feel like they did something. And they were a part of those worship experiences. Even going into a Hillsong concert, I remember the first time that um, some friends in college um, took me to like one of these big mega Christian experiences. And uh, we walked, because we didn't do that in our youth group. So we walked into this thing and um, if, you've, if you've never been to one of these things, it's really interesting because um, you saw the video of like mid-song, right? Where everybody's got their hands up and they're all just ready to go. But as, uh, um, as you enter in, everybody's just kind of chill like we are, and then someone catches talking, and then people are listening, some people are clapping, and um, they'll, uh, they'll say, like, we really want the Spirit to flow, and people will be like, all right, yeah, whatever. And then as soon as they hit the first chord of their favorite song, right, instantly, and it's really cool to watch. Like, it's really cool to watch everybody kind of really get into it, and they are just high-fiving Jesus in the air all over the place. Um, what's bizarre, though, is my friend had said the Spirit will just take you over, and you will not be able to sense where you are. The Spirit just takes you and grabs you. And as soon as the song ended, everybody went back to this. And then it was really funny is when the next song came on, it wasn't quite as popular, like it wasn't Oceans or anything like that. Um, and it wasn't quite as popular. So there's less people. They were kind of doing this or whatever. And then the next song was like another one of their uber popular songs. They hit the first chord, boom, again, right? Now, is the Spirit any less present in, this, in the, the middle song, or is it any less present when the preacher's on speaking, or is it that the people walk in ready to receive? They know what they're going to expect. There's a lot of our posture that we take in prayer that dictates what we are going to experience out of that. There's a Canadian professor. Her name is Celeste Snober, and she teaches the cross-section between physiology, psychology, and and prayer, and how all those things wrap up into the experience of God that we have. And she tells her students, we don't just have bodies, 
We are bodies. And Paul would back that up in the end of 1 Corinthians. He tells us that our bodies are a temple, and our bodies are meant to be in service as the way we use our bodies, but our bodies also are inhabitants of the Holy Spirit, are, are, are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and the way that we use our bodies dictates how we experience God. Think about when you go to meet a friend, for example. If you meet a friend, someone that you respect, you will walk up to them, you will shake their hand, you will extend yourself to them, they will grab your hand, you will share a connection with each other, that means you have a connection. If it's somebody you really love or someone you're really close to, you make yourself vulnerable and you open up so that you can embrace that person and bring them close to you. But when you meet a stranger, what do you totally do? You clam up, you put your hands behind you, you make yourself as tightly wound as possible so that they can't have your space. Now let's think about how we pray. If I were to tell you to take a stance of prayer right now, what would you normally do? We close ourselves up. Because even though our traditions, if you grew up Presbyterian, Catholic, Methodist, or whatever, overseas, there are other expressions of our same denomination that are very open and very vulnerable and very physical with their form of prayer, but we are inheritors of the earliest American religious practice, uh, the Puritans. And if you have ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards, one of the early Puritan leaders, you will know that the two goals of er early Puritan religion in America were one, religious freedom, two, suck all joy and life out of that religion that they possibly could. Feelings were something, a, a matter of weakness. If you cried too much over the death of a loved one, it meant you didn't have enough faith. If you sang too loud, it meant you were too proud of yourself. And so everything was very modest and very controlled. It was very cerebral, if you will. And so we inherited this. Things got shaped in this puritanical mindset of keeping it very controlled, very tightly wound. And I believe we've missed out on a great deal of our experience of God by being so tightly wound. Now, there is a certain reverence that comes with bowing your heads, and it is proper and right sometimes to bow before the king. But I want you just to listen to the language that the Jewish people who were following Jesus down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, the language they would have sung and used in their stories. They would have sung, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. All flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, you deliver the weak from those too strong for them, the weak and needy from those who despoil them. I lift my eyes to the hills from where will my help come from. And look at the stories that they said. Then Joseph removed them from his father's knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Daniel continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young girls of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground in prayer and submission. Let me tell you, the most profound experience of prayer I ever had, when I was in seminary, I was working in this theology camp for high school juniors who were exploring calls into ministry and religion and and we gave them the full gambit of experience of religion. And so we were invited to this uh, mosque. And, and I would not call myself, I mean, I respect uh, uh, some of the tenets of Islam. I would not call myself a Muslim. But we got invited to an um, uh, Islamic prayer service. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw myself into this. And, and it was just the most amazing feeling. I've never been put in a situation where somebody said, 
you need to bow all the way to the ground to show your submission to God. But then also God is going to raise you up. And the physical act of putting myself in a vulnerable position and then being told to raise up and be proud of who God made me to be was this just incredible experience. And then being invited into those evangelical worships where hands are open wide. There's something about receiving a praise song or something about receiving the Spirit of God when you are approaching God with yourself vulnerable like this as opposed to closed off. Now let me, let me ask you to try something. I want you to go into our normal state of prayer. I want you to fold your hands so you don't hit your brother. Right? Close your eyes. Bow your heads. And I want you to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. I want you to undo your hands. Maybe put them on your lap. Maybe you just hold them out in front of you. But I want your palms up and I want them open. And hold them there for a second. And pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Open your eyes. Did your hands tingle at all? Right? Some of it's just the blood flowing through. That's fine. But some of it's that openness. Right? It's not that God is especially present when we open our hands or raise our hands or do anything different. God is completely there when we are, uh, when we are, are kneeling in respect or when we are open in vulnerability. God is completely there. It's just a matter of how we present ourselves. And the Jewish people who were following Jesus were open in their prayer postures. They would stand. There is a prayer called the Amina, which they would do at the beginning of every service. The Hasidic Jews that you would see at the Western Wall, they take three steps in intentionally when they start their prayer so they know that they are going into the presence of God. They expect to be in the presence of God. And then when they are done, they take three steps back so that they can expect to take the presence of God with them to show the presence of God to the world that they had left for just a little bit. So much of our prayer is about how we posture ourselves to be in the full presence of God so that we can then show the full presence of God. And this is what the Jewish followers would have expected. When they're going down with Jesus, they are watching a revolutionary walk into Jerusalem. They don't quite understand who exactly Jesus is in this moment of what he's going to do on the cross to save us from sin and death. But they understand his actions to be uh, formed out of his prayer life. And we see this when he comes down from the Mount of Olives and he looks down upon Jerusalem. There are things that Scripture says he's praying about already. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus is praying for peace for Jerusalem, for the Israelite people. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Jesus is praying for unity for the Israelite people. He's praying for unity for the body of believers. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your peace your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus is praying for peace for the people, unity, peace, togetherness. And one of the reasons why they would know Jesus was acting out of his prayer life is because one of the prayers out of the, the prophets from Zechariah 9.9 is, Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious as he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is 
enacting his prayer. He is writing out his prayer for peace and unity and victory for the Jerusalem people out of what he knows. He's living out these prophecies because he knows that his crucifixion, he knows that the resurrection, he knows that all the events that he's moving himself intentionally into are going to free the very people who are open to being freed, the very people that he is coming to save. He knows they're going to be free from sin, free from guilt, ultimately free from the oppression of the Roman people as well. Jesus gets exactly what he expects because he puts himself in the presence of God with his body. And ultimately we see this amazing scene where he's vulnerable on a cross, where he has given himself fully to God. And it's in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. One of the ways I see this lived out so well at Creekwood is at the beginning of each school year. And uh, we go over to Harper Elementary and, and Casey McCulloch and her crew on the missions team. They do a phenomenal job of taking care of the teachers and taking care of the students. We have Harper mentors who go over there and read to students. And this goal of getting all the students on uh, grade level reading is this really awesome, awesome ministry that we do. And um, at the beginning of every school year, they open up the doors. Now, it's one thing for us in a congregation, you know, whatever, 15 miles away to bow our heads and say, oh, thank you for Harper Elementary. We pray that you will be there and, and, and pray for them over there. And I'm not saying God doesn't do things beyond our abilities. God certainly does that. But I'm, I'm saying that when we read through from Genesis to Revelation, when God wants something done, God inspires a Moses or an Elijah or works through the full incarnation of Jesus or inspires Paul or Peter or whoever, Mary, to go and be the presence of God on this earth. And so there's one thing about praying in our congregation. There's another thing when they open the doors and we walk through the halls praying for the school year and we pray for the teachers in those classrooms and we walk the footsteps of the children who are going to be reading and writing and doing math and we pray in those same footsteps that Jesus is walking those same hallways. There's something that transforms not only that school but transforms those who are praying to see beyond our own concerns for just our children and recognize that there are other children in the world who are ours because God gave them to us. And it transforms us to where we start to care a little bit more and where we start to, right, if we have put ourselves in the full presence of God, then we can be the full presence of God in the world. And that is why I want you to try praying with your bodies. I want you to consider your body as a temple. I want you to try this week, during Holy Week, when we're up at church here just a little bit more often during Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, you'll have the opportunity to come and receive the Last Supper. And even outside of Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, or Easter Sunday, or if you want to pray through face painting and everything at the Spring Festival, there are prayer stations you'll see around um, the property. You can see one on the back window by the deck. There's one, Remember Your Baptism. And right, there's something, if you are approaching a friend and you go like this, that's not a very close friend. But if you're approaching a friend and you're open and you do something with that friend, that is a closeness. And so you have the opportunity to go out to this fountain in the prayer garden and, and sprinkle yourself with water and remember that it is God's grace pouring out upon you. You have the opportunity to do something, to fully be in the presence of God so that we can fully give the full presence of God to the world around us. I know that this is not going to be an easy switch for everybody, and you may not even like it. There are different prayer practices. That's why we've been introducing different prayer practices throughout 
throughout this entire thing. But I do know that what we do with our bodies influences how our minds see the world. How we act out our prayers, how we take the footsteps of Jesus transforms how we project the presence of God in the world. And so I want to encourage you to open yourselves up a little bit and realize that the Holy Spirit is not some distant force. God is not some distant God. Jesus is not just some historical figure off in history somewhere. But rather, Christ is alive. And through the Holy Spirit, we are the body of Christ. And God is forever moving us to do something in the world and become the body of Christ. We just can't fully do that unless we have fully entered into the presence of God. And so let's practice right now. Let's just, let's say a prayer. And I invite you to open yourselves up in whatever way you feel comfortable with. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as the palms wave, as we shout out, as we make ourselves less stoic and more uncomfortable, may your spirit move within us and through us to let us know that it is okay to express ourselves. In fact, Lord, the world needs us to express ourselves. May we be on full display as the body of Christ going to free the captives and bring sight to the blind, pronounce the year of your jubilee. May we be fully on display that there is nothing to hide as we march toward our own Jerusalem to your full presence so that we might be the full presence of God. Lord God, enter in and make a home inside of us so that others may see how good you are and your righteousness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Kids, I want to invite Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.